All right, so we are live with uh, your Risk Matters podcast, recording remotely from three different studios. Uh, we've got John Adam, John Adamick from Baptist Children's Homes of North Carolina, and and our own Risk Performance Group rep, Jacob Darlene. How are you guys? Awesome. Thanks for having us. Of course. Thanks. So, John, um, before we, uh, I, I had to ask you to to press pause because you were sharing too much juicy intel about where you are and why you had to to be where you are. So maybe tell us where you're sitting right now. Yeah, thanks, Alex and uh, Jacob. So I'm at the Baptist Children's Homes of North Carolina podcast studio, which was uh, a vision of Dr. Michael C. Blackwell, our president, chief executive officer. He's got a voice directly from heaven, and it's a joy to listen to him. He's had many uh, esteemed guests on here, including uh, Dr. Gary Chapman, author of the international best-selling five love languages. I'm here because my family is active at home like everybody else. And uh, this place has um, uh, noise buffers. So glad to be a part of this. A great looking studio. And and so for those listening in, this is a little encouragement to you. The bars being set, whether you're in manufacturing or mining or construction or any industry, the the challenge has been set. You, You guys all need to get your own podcast recording studios. So what's going on at your home right now? So why, why'd you get the boot? What, what might have the background noise sounded like? Yeah, I couldn't find a safe haven this morning. My mother lives with us, and she's a seamstress, so she's got her industrial strength sewing machine going uh, fast and furious this morning. My wife is upstairs sewing masks uh, for people uh, to uh, help them during this time, this pandemic. Um, and, uh, we've got a, a, a wonderful dog, a boxer, and, and she's very active And my 20 year old daughter's, um, home keeping busy, uh, trying to keep up with school during this time. Well, wonderful. Jacob, um, Jacob, to drive this forward a little bit, uh, why don't you share a little, maybe a little about your, your relationship with John and, and the team over there and, and how things have developed over the, the past few years. Yeah, thanks. And I, you know, it's one of those things when we sit down and talk about who who would be good guests for the Risk Risk Matters podcast. And I believe actually John had reached out and 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 said, you know, I like, you know, we heard about the Risk Matters podcast and said, I'd, I'd like for us to be a part of it. So uh, I told John yesterday or a day before yesterday that uh, when Alex came to me and said, uh, let's let's get some some uh, guests lined up. Uh, you're the first organization that I thought of and and it's been a incredible experience um, for me personally and and also for the Greensboro office that has been really aligned so well with with BCH um, BCH has been a, a benefits client for John I don't know how many years have you worked with uh, Sean and Greg and that team uh, that predated my arrival eight years ago okay and and so it's been a long time, and so I actually got to know BCH from some of the. Uh, it was actually started. We used to do the the um, uh, Christmas boxes for for, and I don't even know who it was for, but we decided to to partner up with BCH and support one of the cottages on the campus at at Mills Homes at in Thomasville, and um, some of our folks went there and 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 instead of giving christmas gifts to someone that we just don't know uh we decided to do it directly with someone that is uh someone that we do know and and the the impact that 
that it gave to us to to the to the employee owners at at Scott was was really uplifting uh, where we can serve um, our community, which is a pillar of our our mission uh, and and it really uh, provided an impact and then we had the privileges of of, of really uh, partnering up then on the on the property and casualty risk standpoint uh, through Jim Simpson and Steve Heston and and uh, so that's kind of where we started John really in the fall of 2017 I believe I looked down at my notes and or summer late summer John and, you, you um, mentioned, um, that's kind of started John you mentioned you've been at BCH for eight years I think um, yeah. and so maybe tell us a little bit about your role there and um, and then uh, I know Jacob, you've got some, some areas that, that I think would be helpful for folks tuning in to, to, to hear about. Sure. Thanks so much. Um, so I serve as the director of human resources and uh, safety director. We have, uh, about 340 employees at 23 locations throughout the state. And we have a variety of ministries, everything from residential childcare for children who are unable to stay with their families due to safety and other reasons. Um, we have uh, ministries that serve aging adults. We've got family care ministries that serve single mothers and their children. We've got a weekday education ministry here. Uh, we have a variety of ministries that serve people from every aspect of life from birth uh, up through the aging process. And uh, I, I'm glad to serve those who serve others We've got people on the front lines every day, uh, some in 24-7 settings, residential. We've got nine group homes for adults with developmental disabilities. And so right now we've got people that are there really helping others to live uh, a full life. And uh, my goal and uh, the team that I work with, uh, we are devoted to making sure that the people who are doing that work get what they need. Thank you for that was a great introduction and tell, walk us through a little bit. So when, when we talk about, um, and I think this is kind of how we framed it back when we started, John was the framing everything in, in the concept of the risk performance journey, right? And everybody's on a journey and BCH was certainly in a certain place and where are we, where we want to go and how are we going to get there in terms of a strategy? What do you remember for back in the in the day when we formed what we now call the risk performance leadership team at BCH? I'd be curious to see what you what you remember. I know we've gone through a lot since then, but yeah, it, it's been a great process for me personally and professionally, but also for uh, our organization. Um, what I've seen is really bringing together a lot of different perspectives and experiences and. and um, areas of expertise uh, throughout our different ministries and, and bringing that with uh, the Scott expertise and the Scott passion for uh, risk performance excellence and uh, also some of the other supporting folks that you've mentioned and that we have in our stakeholders. Uh, and what we've done is, is really, I think, Jacob, you were uh, very instrumental along with Steve and, and Jim and, and Sam Barefoot, our senior vice president, trying to make sure that we understood how to look at risk and, and understanding where we need to prioritize our efforts 
to be good stewards of what we have, uh, what we've been entrusted with, and to make sure we're really serving people on the front lines. Um, you know, just to kind of bring it to uh, a perspective that helps me to stay focused. When we get children in, uh, it's usually children that have been abused, abandoned, neglected. And uh, if you see a horror story in the newspaper, uh, that's the kind of situations our children come from. And so we have to make sure that everything we do is with the mindset of, of serving from a, a place of being trauma-informed and trying to make sure that what we do helps uh, at every level of service. And so you help me understand better what it means to be risk um, prudent. Uh, that's a term I'll use to make sure that we're looking appropriately at risk and that we're strategizing appropriately instead of a, a scattershot approach that I might have taken before meeting you. I think now I understand that we've got priorities and that we can channel our efforts accordingly. Do, do you remember what, uh, what exercise we, we did early on? Well, I have a triangle in my mind that I can't erase no matter what <laughs> I do. And um, it, it's everything. I think I remember the numbers, uh, 1,300, uh, 329, and 1. I'm going to just throw those out there. I've asked for you to change it from 29 to 30 to, to make it rounded. But you <laughs> I, don't know, I remember that. It's so, not close enough. Yeah. So, so one of the, for, for, the, for the benefit of everybody else that are listening in, one of the things that we did early on asked, after we formed the risk performance leadership team was really a lot of education and, and discussion around risk versus defenses. And John, you're spot on when we're talking about the, the concept of what we call target one initiatives, which is how do we, instead of working on 20 things, how can we work on a few things that really are, are the drivers where we can move the needle? So one of the exercises that we did, if you remember, was the kind of the crystal ball exercise. Remember that? I do. So what was that? Walk us, walk us through what, what you remember from, we, we were all in the room and, 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 and what did I ask the group to do? Well, I think basically looking at where we're at and where we're going and what we see is presenting the largest risk uh, in terms of scope and impact on the organization, really trying to look outside of our normal everyday uh, areas of response. Responsibility, and, yeah. and you help handle that. So, so it, it's a it's a really effective exercise that I think that we often do, and that is uh, when we have a group of people, and, and what we believe in is that the, the real smart people are the ones inside the walls of the organization. So, when you ask everybody, and this is what we did at BCH, is take out a piece of paper and write down what you think is the next accident that's going to happen at 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 BCH and it's the first thing that come to your mind so we do that for a couple of minutes and and then we gathered up and we whiteboarded it and from that uh, so we may have had 15 people in that room and it was leaders within each ministry or division or department within BCH and from that we came it was pretty clear there was there was some common uh, common thinking uh, among um, among them and, and there was really three factors right fleet so you have a tremendous amount of vehicles out everywhere with caregivers and going out and visiting people uh and i don't know how many how many vehicles do you guys operate um i would say that the majority of our staff 
are driving on our behalf at some point. Yeah, yeah. And it could be that you have, so, so some are personal vehicles driving on behalf of the organization. Some are uh, Baptist Children's Homes vehicles uh, that are assigned or used temporarily um, in, in the mission that you serve. So the fleet was one issue that came about, you know, and, and, the, and the answers were kind of, yeah, somebody's going to back into um, a bollard or back into another vehicle or something, or yeah, getting in an auto accident. So these are the typical type of accident answers. The second one was, was what if we get alleged that a, a child was, and this was probably a low frequency, but, but high severity, really, really uh, something that is, uh, you know, heaven forbid that something would happen. And that is the threat of abuse and molestation or the alleged abuse and molestation. And everybody knows the heightened um, state of, of, of concern of that. So that is something that certainly can happen. And that's certainly one of the things that the carrier is, is concerned about as well. And number three was uh, medication management and making sure that there's zero errors in, in, in the administration of managing children's medications, which is something that is part of your, part of what you do as a, as a house parent or um, in the operations of what you do. So from that, and those were the three kind of the main areas that both drove frequency, severity, and concern and what kept people up at night, right? That's right. So, so what we did is we, from that, we created that as our target one initiative. And, and, and what we did is, is and, and that was all driven. It wasn't Jacob Dalene coming in saying, here's your risk and here's what you need to focus on. Is really the folks within the leadership and the folks that are driving, they're out there in the trenches all the time, came up with, this is what keeps me up at night. This is what I'm concerned about. And, um, and that's kind of what we wanted to focus on. And, and then how do we now take that down into a strategy level of saying, all right, what are the four or five things that we need to be focusing on to make an impact on moving the needle on, on the risk? So um, we, we talked a lot about defenses, right? <laughs> yes. So what, what, what can you recollect from that discussion not to put you on the spot too much but so this is a little bit of quizzing here john we're back in school <laughs> what do you recollect from kind of the discussions on risk versus defenses well i think that uh, what we looked at is number one we have to keep in mind the fact that we are serving people and we're serving people who uh, have a variety of different life backgrounds and situations and that we need to be mindful of that. And so we're going to have people in movement, in motion, uh, going around doing things, cooking, cleaning, driving. Um, we're going to have people getting together and, and, and doing things that are normal uh, for most people, but a lot of those we serve haven't experienced before. Yeah. So we've got all these different possibilities and we need to be mindful of that we don't want what we do in terms of defenses to interfere with that we want to be good stewards but we don't want to hinder effective service and so uh, what we try to do I'll just use fleet as an example is you know we look at okay number one 
is there an opportunity to reduce travel? And so we've been able to manage that, for example, over the last couple of years with the expansion of video conferencing, which obviously in today's uh, situation is becoming more common, but that was something that we had uh, on the cutting edge with us a couple of years back. And, and also looking at for our fleet, you know, what are we doing to screen and train and, and, and follow up to driving behaviors? And, and so that goes for everybody in the organization. So that's just one example where we're looking at making sure that we need to be doing what we're doing. And if not, let's stop it. And if we can change it, let's change it for the better. And uh, let's make sure that we're monitoring our goals and the progress and, and adjusting as we can. Yeah. If, if you don't mind, maybe take me back a little bit because I'm, I think about the, the folks on the risk journey is, is we like to talk about it who are listening to this and some are far down the road and some haven't even started the, the car yet, if, if, if I may. And so as you guys thought about developing your risk performance leadership team, it's, if, I, if I heard correctly from Jacob earlier, there are about 10 folks on it. Could you give us a little bit? I'm a, I'm a fan of, of a little bit of the, the mechanics. And so how frequently do you meet and how, how many people are involved and who are those stakeholders? You mentioned bringing people the value of the perspectives, experiences, and expertise. And so who are those people? How frequently do you meet? Um, and, and what are the, some of the things that you measure um, in those meetings to kind of hold yourselves accountable to action items? I know there's a lot baked in that question, so apologies <laughs> for, for that. Yeah, that's, that's great. And let me just kind of add this in because I think it's important for perspective. It was really something that I considered when I was looking at whether or not this was the right uh, place for me in the right position. We have an enormous amount of oversight uh, for what we do. In addition to the governmental licensing agencies, such as the Department of Health and Human Services, um, we've got Department of Social Services. We also have an accreditation that we um, pursue every four years under the Council of Accreditation. And um, a lot of what we do is supported by best practices throughout the world and throughout our industry, if you will, and so we look at all these different things. And then obviously we have other uh, external uh, guidelines, laws, and so forth, uh, OSHA and uh, Equal Employment Opportunity and, and Commission and so forth. So we, the lens with which we look is focused to a certain point uh, by those factors. But also we, we look within, and we've got people, our average tenure for 340 employees is over eight years. That's the average tenure for our organization. Now, our statewide uh, leader of residential child care has been with us 46 years. Wow. She, she is a, a national treasure, in my opinion, and, and, and certainly somebody I look up to. Our leadership, our senior leadership, uh, Sam, I mentioned earlier, he's been with us, I want to say, 37, 38 years. Uh, and... Uh, we've got other leaders within the organization that have been with us 20, 25 years. And so these people know their stuff. Yeah. And when, when I'm around them, I, I, my game has to be better. And, and so I've, I've really, quite frankly, spent a lot of my time learning from them, but also trying to help bring best practices to them. And, and Scott is just so good at that. We meet, basically, we try to meet quarterly uh, and, and we get, uh, 
Jacob and, and Steve and Jim and, and the group, and we've got these leaders from our residential child care, from our special ministries, including intellectual and developmental disability adult group homes, our week education program, uh, and, and we've got some administrative folks who really understand um, the data that comes through, and we look at all of that, and to, to your point about how do we drill down and really hold ourselves accountable, you know, backing accidents, you know, I, I, I have pledged, um, I'll go, I was not somebody who would back into parking spaces, and, and, and you know, I, I need to do that. I wasn't a fan of it for various reasons, just personally, but the data is there and the best practices are there and I need to help set the example. So uh, that's something that's, that's come all the way through this program right to me personally. Now I'm still not doing it when I go to get my coffee in the morning. I'm working on it, but, but when it comes to work, uh, I'm backing in. So that I think there's some subtleties there that are really, really critical. You know, we've got a few sayings that we really like, like, you know, you, you don't know if you don't go and you don't know what you don't know. And so illuminating um, and tapping into the intellectual capital, of those folks, those players who have been, you know, with you all for such a long time, I think we can operate in silos occasionally and, and we stay busy. But, but when you create the space and the time, um, to, to circle around with people and have conversations around risk like you all are doing. It, it, what, what always encourages me is there are these conversations and learnings that take place that I would have never experienced if I hadn't created that meeting space and time with those people. And so that's a real value and your, your comment is a real treasure to be able to have people like that on the team to share that, that time with. Thank you. Absolutely. And I, I want to say this too. Uh, you guys didn't ask me to do this and I didn't say I would, but the reality is, is that I was very happy when I learned that Scott was a partner with Baptist Children's Homes before I joined, because I was really looking into trying to do due diligence as to whether or not I could, I could do the job. And I remember years ago, uh, this is my 20th year in HR and safety. And years ago, I went to a seminar on workers' compensation, and there was a, uh, a machine that Scott had uh, partnered with another provider that would help do things like measuring um, MMI for workers' comp or something like that. And I was just really impressed. My employer at the time was not partnered with Scott when I came here and learned about the really rich history of Scott and, and the people, and without exception, all the people I've met are just fantastic. I try to go to every seminar I can, um, and, and I try to make sure that I'm open to learning uh, what's coming through. Like you said, the culture, the, the community that Scott uh, tries to create and embrace. So um, I, I'm just really grateful, and I've tried to promote that to anybody I know in my field, uh, and, and hopefully they're listening to that. Well, I, I thank you for saying that, John. And the, the what we try to do – you know, from the beginning, when I said there's been a privilege to to work with BCH and 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 really serve in in their mission, and uh, and and that goes so well, and kind of dovetailing in in what we're trying to do is serve our employee owners and serve our clients and serve our communities. So we have common commonalities there. One thing I wanted to add to 
you know, when we formed this risk performance leadership team, it's, it's really with the understanding is that the, what, what Alex was hitting on, and that's the intellectual capital of understanding the risk and, and then also coming up with the, the, the strategy that is going to work uniquely for BCH really is within the walls. So the people to kind of put a little um, more detail in the people that are on the leadership team for, for BCH are really the guys that are the leaders in each division. So, uh, you know, Martha and Linda and Bond and Joni and these guys that are um, in the trenches. And so when we bring up issues the knowledge and the intimate knowledge and the experience that they have to be able to say, well, this is how that affects me. And here's what concerns me. And then we can bring it together as a team to talk about it. And then out of that comes out the, the, what are we going to do, which is strategy. Right. And I think that that works, that concept works really, really well instead of us coming in telling you what you should be doing, because frankly, you know, I don't have the experience in the, in the detail that of what you do. So my role there in risk performance is, is to be an advisor to the group, to the team. That's the role that I have and to be a coach and to be an advocate. The, the, what's come out of that has been focus, uh, relevancy, effectiveness and efficiency in, in, in what we're trying to do. And then we've been able to be utilized also. So Nancy McNeil, as an example, tapped me on the shoulder and say, you know, we have a leadership council or young, um, what's the name of it there with the, with the young leaders? It's BCHU, BCH okay. University. So, so there's a large group of people that said, look, all this is really great. How can we translate this knowledge to the next generations of leaders within BCH because they have a perpetuation plan in place. So every year we've been able to, and, and actually a couple of times per year, being able to get in front of that group and, and really help educate and lift the knowledge of those people. So when they're stepping into a role, um, they have, they have a, a good base of it as well, which is super exciting. John, let me ask you a question here. Um, it just It's interesting. When I think about risk performance leadership teams academically, which we, I often do, um, it's easy to kind of paint the story of, you know, we meet quarterly. Um, it's a happy family. We dot all our I's and cross all our T's and fulfill every action item. And, and yet w- what I've experienced with various clients over the years is sometimes you show up to these things and it feels like you could have spent your time better elsewhere. And yet one of the, one of the things I've noted outside of that is that the, the risk is really best um, uh, perceived through the aggregate. And so while some meetings may not be as fruitful as others, um, in the aggregate, it's an incredibly uh, beneficial use of your time. And sometimes uh, members cycle through and, and sometimes folks kind of serve a term what are maybe some of the barriers or obstacles or, or have you had that experience at all? Or are you guys are, I guess, two and a half, three years in, maybe it's a little young to have kind of gone through, but so many seasons, but just kind of your take on, on the development of, of the group. Well, I think that one of the things that we, we did 
base early on was just coordinating schedules. Um, be, because of the nature of our services, our ministries, people have different seasons, if you will, mm-hmm. and trying to coordinate uh, peak times and, and, and uh, available opportunities for people to come and, and meet and get together. That's really a big challenge. Now, what we have done is we we've supplemented our in-person meetings with the video conferencing. And I think that has really helped give us the flexibility. Um, for example, uh, our Linda, our statewide uh, residential child care director, you know, she's three hours away from our Thomasville location. And so, you know, that's a day plus, and obviously she's going to have other, you know, meetings and so forth to make that, you know, uh, beneficial for her time. But, you know, we've got to be mindful of that. So we try to be good stewards. And I think that one of the other things that we've started doing more is making sure that we communicate early uh, the findings or outcomes from our meetings to others so that we can follow up. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's helping keep us, you know, if we keep the meetings uh, at regular intervals uh, and, and we understand what we're going to be doing when we get into the meetings and what the goals are and what the uh, action items are in the areas of responsibility after the meetings. You know, I think we're seeing progress, and I think that that Jacob uh, and Steve and Jim have been really good to kind of help shepherd that uh, process, and so I've been grateful for that. Yeah, so what are the, you know, one of the ways we think about um, these groups, and, and I think that I just was jotting down a note as you spoke, because scheduling seemingly shouldn't be uh, – uh, an obstacle that should shut this whole process down. And yet what we know is people get busy and you get on an email thread where you try once, you try twice, you try three times scheduling on a line schedules on a line and we go, Hey, let's revisit this in a week. And that turns into a month and that turns into three months before it gets rebooted. So I think that's a good lesson, a nugget for folks today who are listening just to say, look, leverage technology to kind of circumvent the logistic and scheduling um, challenges you experience. Now, one of the things is, is we kind of round this conversation out that, that we think a lot about is in that, in that risk journey, if you will, of these leadership teams and uh, the risk journey of organizations, to me, it, it seems at least the flow that I've experienced, and I think Jacob too, is that initially you kind of knock out these, you create your target ones for where you're going to place your points of emphasis those are sometimes not easy, but they're low hanging fruit items that are um, a little bit more readily um, in front of you. And then, and then the, 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 the next or the evolution is to go grassroots, if you will, to try to shape and form your policy and procedure in a way that is um, consistent from what leadership would like to see happen, what they think is going on. And then out in the field among employees, what's what's actually being delivered. I like to say the ideal versus the real. And so if you had to kind of couch where you guys are on that journey at this point, um, and I know there are a lot of layers on this spectrum, um, but how do you feel you guys are from the going grassroots kind of disseminating of information and, and playing it out and running out plays in the field? Well, I think that one of the things I'd mentioned is that when I came here, uh, we had a long-standing culture of making sure that uh, employees, our, our coworkers, were involved at all levels. We do annual employee satisfaction surveys that are very 
intensive. Um, and because we have such veteran staff, uh, really our folks know each other and have a comfort level, uh, certainly at the, the ministry locations that uh, allows us to get good information. Um, for example, the, the Western area where Linda uh, is based, um, we've got folks that have been there, a lot of them 20 plus years. I mean, just really a lot of dedicated folks. And so they do their quarterly safety meetings. I'm gleaning those for best practices. If, if, if something makes it to one of our leaders, it's going to get to our frontline people. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't challenges trying to make sure that everybody understands and, and really is able to have what they need to, to implement those goals. Um, but we do try to make sure that the awareness is there. Uh, for example, our strategic plan, which is something that's required, but something we do willingly, includes strategies such as uh, growing talents, growing friends, and growing ministries. So we look at these things and we say, how do our strategic goals impact frontline awareness and how do we make sure that people have a chance to, to share their recommendations with us? So there's always room for opportunity, but I would say we have a culture of communication, a culture of excellence. That comes from the top, from our president, uh, through our chief operating officer, Keith Henry, and right through all of our uh, vice presidents and directors, right to people like myself. Mm, yeah, there's such an incredible value in, in having um, the experience and the consistency and leadership at a, at an organization that the amount of communication and just trust and knowledge that, that is inherent in those, those types of organizations like you all really, um, lends itself to enhancements in operations, risk, you name it. And so there's a, there's for sure a trickle down effect that, that I've gathered from you all and that Jacob shared and, um, and so with that, we've taken a good amount of your time and, and I know you've enjoyed your time in, in the, uh, recording studio, Jacob, do you have any thoughts or parting comments for, for the listeners and for, uh, for us? Yeah. And I just, hopefully this is a good, good challenge to everybody listening that, that maybe you want to talk to, um, uh, other companies that are, that are, that, that have a risk performance leadership team in place and what is it and how does, how can you incorporate it perhaps at your organization? One thing to kind of, to, to summarize and tie it in a nice little knot is that, you know, just because you formed a team doesn't mean that that is going to be the be all end all. And, and, but, and, and if you tie it in, if you, if you incorporate this in the concept of the journey is that that journey, uh, BCH are, are moving down the, the line, moving forward in their journey. They haven't arrived, and there's always things that comes up. And case in point, you had the big flood uh, a while ago, and, 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 and that is a big competing interest of now we really weren't planning on the flood, right? So we had lots of properties that were affected and homes down in Kinston and, and having to deal with the carriers. And now we got COVID-19 coming on. And, and the team, what's nice is that, that we can always go back to the team and talk about these things. And we just had a meeting the other day. And, and now because of COVID-19, we're utilizing the, the concept of what we're talking about with risk and defenses in something that maybe wasn't on the drawing board uh, in the fall of 2017 when we started. But that's life. And it's all about moving down the road in the journey and getting better and better all the time. And, 
and um, and you probably won't arrive, but we can get better and have uh, progressive thinking along the way. So we'll continue to be advisors and a coach and an advocate for BCH. And uh, it's exciting because we got new challenges every day and, and, uh, and, and, but, but the, but the great thing is that we got smart people with inside the walls that are committed that, that understand that, risk can really prevent the opportunity to serve um, and, and the mission of that organization. So we're going to try to help support that moving forward as well. Well, John, uh, we, we really appreciate your time. And Jacob, thank you guys for hopping on and just sharing this, a little snapshot, a little window into the journey. And, and, um, and John, before we let you go, maybe uh, we'll decompress with, why don't you tell us what, what you're going to do this weekend? I know you're going to try to go home and survive the, the, uh, the, the noise of the sewing machines, but, or maybe you're not going to go home. What, what's the, uh, what's the <laughs> plan for you all after this, uh, this podcast on this Friday and Saturday? Thank you so much. So uh, just one thing I, I feel obligated to say real quick, if you don't mind, is, um, <laughs> Right now, uh, BCH has provided what I think is an incredible resource for people throughout the state, throughout the country, and throughout the world. We have our Baptist Aging Ministry, NCBAM, has a hope line. We're staffing that many hours of the day, and um, we have people who are lonely, elderly people who are unable to get out and interact with people, and so we've got this hope line. We have a podcast, Dr. Michael C. Blackwell. The podcast is It's a Family Matter. It's a Family Matter. And right now, that Hope Line is a focus episode. That's being broadcast. That number has been shared on many uh, news stations throughout the state. And uh, it really is a wonderful resource for people at this time. Um, And as far as what I'm going to do, my daughter, I've got a son. He's at uh, NC State, and he's kind of hunkered down over there. Uh, But my daughter was uh, studying abroad in England for six months, just came back. Uh, just in time, and uh, I haven't seen her much, so we're going to spend some time together. I hope you have a good Easter. I'm very grateful for all of you, and I appreciate you, and I wish you well. Thank you, John, and thank you for the time and for the folks who stuck with us. We appreciate your patience with some of the audio issues throughout. We're living in a new paradigm of Zoom recordings from home where the Wi-Fi is maybe not as stable as it is in the office, and, um, and so thank you for Everyone who tuned in, who stuck around with us, Jacob, John, you guys have a great weekend. And to the audience, take care. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care.